I want to begin by asking you to think about something. Have you ever seen one of those videos, uh, maybe on the news or, or on YouTube or some, somebody in your Facebook or something shared it with you, where some really good people are trying to do something really dangerous and then borderlines on dumb, where they're trying to rescue some wild animal that's hopelessly stuck somehow. Have you ever seen one of those videos? There, there's an animal that's fallen through the ice and they're trying to get it out before it drowns. It's stuck in the mud or, or you know, it's a skunk with its head stuck in a bucket or something like that. And in both cases, whether you're the savior or the one who needs saving, there's a great deal of risk involved, right? And so what invariably happens in these videos, uh, at least that's the ones I've seen, is that the, they free the animal, it finally realizes it's not going to die and these people aren't going to kill it, and it stands there, shakes itself off for a second, and then it bolts away. And if you're like me, you always think there should be some sort of Bambi moment where it, you know, looks at the people and says, oh, thank you, you know, but they don't. It's just not what they do. Animals just are really glad that you didn't kill them and eat them. Even when you've rescued them from hopeless entrapment. Now, that's really the gist of what Jubilee is about, and that's what this story that we're going to read in a minute from chapter 25 of Leviticus is trying to tell us, is that we were in a hopelessly stuck situation, and we didn't know how bad it was until it was so bad that we desperately wanted anyone to help us, no matter what the cost. I hope that's your salvation story, because... That's pretty much what it takes to really surrender yourself to the Lord, is to realize how desperately in trouble you are. And then, when you get saved from your predicament, you will shout for joy. You'll experience a trumpet blast of, of liberty. If you take the word jubilee as it's first presented in the Old Testament in Leviticus 25, uh, I, in my notes I have some very complicated stuff about word morphology. Can I tell you that I have a little bit of an obsession with word morphology? I love word games. I'm always trying to think about the roots of words and stuff like that, and it's just kind of an obsession of mine. So the word it, that, that eventually becomes jubilee is the Hebrew word yofel, okay, yofel. And when it was translated into Greek by the rabbi scholars back in the days preceding Christ's birth, uh, the word was translated to a word that basically means a trumpet blast of liberty. And then... In later translations to Latin, they kind of chased it down another rabbit hole, and they came up with a root word that's still yovel or yobel, and it still means basically shout for joy. So is there anybody here who's ready for a trumpet blast of liberty and a shout for joy? I think I am. I'm always looking for one. And this is the topic, basically, that we're going to look at in our time together here. We're going to look at how this year of Jubilee marked a time when debts were canceled, when slaves were set free, and when 
everything was sort of reset, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm from the computer generation, and I know that sometimes the best cure for any, everybody ever call the IT department, and they tell you, did you try turning it off and turning it back on again? See, some of you are laughing because you've had that experience. It's amazing how much of your technology in your home can be cured by just turning it off and turning it back on again. So I want you to do this, now that Courtney's taught you this, this phrase, next time you have a problem with your technology, I want you to turn it off and then sing, Jubilee, Jubilee, and push your buttons, okay? See what happens. I, cause, because you're resetting everything, you know? You're, you're getting a restart here. It's still the same hardware, it's just having its software rebooted, you know, and starting with a new attitude. Now you can see where I'm headed with this. Let's read Leviticus chapter 25, 1 to 28. Now, if you're one of those who brings your Bible, you can dial that up now. If not, watch the words. But uh, the year of Jubilee is described first here in chapter 25 of Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself, must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your uh, untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your manservant, and your maidservant, and the hired worker, and temporary resident who lives among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your, field, in the, your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Count off seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbaths of years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the Day of Atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the unattended vines, for it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to his own property. If you sell land to one of your countrymen or buy any from him, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your countrymen on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee, and he is to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. And when the years are many, you are to increase the price. And when the years are few, you are to decrease the price. 
because what he is really selling you is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws, and you will live safely in the land. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you are but aliens and my tenants. Throughout the country that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. If one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countrymen have sold. If, however, a man has no one to redeem it from it, for him, but he himself prospers and acquires sufficient means to redeem it, he is to determine the value for the years since he sold it and refund the balance to the man to whom he sold it. He can then go back to his own property. But if he does not acquire the means to repay him, what he sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. It will be returned in the Jubilee, and he can then go back to his property. And that's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And you say, Pastor Dan, why do you read so much scripture? Context. Context. Getting this into perspective is vitally important for us as we understand how this is to affect our lives. Does anybody want to hear how the Bible affects your life and how you can become more closely linked in heart and mind with your God and with each other and to live a life more in line with the way the Spirit has gifted you and enabled you the, the context understanding what the bible is saying to us is our way of understanding the very mind of god something called the logos or the uh the mind of god the very thought of god it's it's a love letter it's a it's a, a book that is designed to teach us how our god our creator thinks you know and uh that's when you really know somebody isn't it so this Jubilee year was a concept that God gave to Moses and it was meant to be implemented immediately. And you probably couldn't help noticing that heptatic structure that exists in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. In fact, you would drive yourself crazy trying to identify all of the heptatic structures in the Bible. What's that? Sounds like a disease. No. It's a series of sevens. It's, it's the fact that there are a number of sevens in the Bible. There are always these patterns of seven. In this case, you have a pattern that is being described very methodically, but it, you kind of get lost in it. So let me summarize. So they, the Lord wants them to rest every seventh day. And if you think back to the days when they were wandering in the wilderness, God would provide manna every day. They were not allowed to keep it overnight because it would rot and get bugs in it and stuff. And then on the eve of the Sabbath, 
God would make enough for them to get through the day when there would be no manna and there would be no labor. So the seventh day was a day of rest. Well, then the Bible tells us in this particular story of Jubilee that they were to follow that pattern in the way that they managed their crops. So every seventh year, they were to give the land a rest. And uh, by the way, next week's message, I think, is entitled Give It a Rest. So you got to look forward to this. Because then there was this pattern of every seven years you gave it a rest. Then there was also this pattern of every seventh Sabbath year. So in other words, you, you went seven years, you had a Sabbath year, you gave the land a rest. Well, really six, and you gave the seventh year as a, land, as a, day of, a year of rest. Bleh, it's getting bad. And then you would do that seven times and that would total 49 years and the final year would be the jubilee year so seven 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 all the way down the line that's called a heptatic structure okay so there's a little technical information for you just for your benefit but what's this really about dan why should i care well because god intends for us to give it a rest once in a while God intends for us to recognize that everything belongs to God. We're tenants. We're just managing this stuff. You know, if there's anything that really jumps off the page at me and screams liberty, it is the reality that you don't own it. You know, I, I, I could tell you that after living in parsonages for several years. You, you, you know, it's not that we ever took advantage of the people who provided the home or anything, but there's always this sense of, of not worrying about paying the mortgage or worrying about paying certain bills that normal people pay. <laughs> well, now I do. So I'm having sort of a reverse liberty now. I was like, I'm having a year of, oh no, I've got to pay mortgage. <laughs> But I'm okay with that. But my point is, is that, that when you feel that your job is just to take care of the thing and to treat it well for the sake of the owner, you have a different kind of expectation of yourself than you do when it feels like it's yours and it's supposed to benefit you in every way. And it's not like that with the things that God owns. And if you haven't noticed lately, God owns it all. And therefore, what God wants us to understand is, is that this is God's management plan. This is, this is God's preventative maintenance plan. You know, if you buy a car, or you go lease a car or something, you get a maintenance plan or you buy that policy. They always offer you at the checkout right before you're getting ready to pay the bill. And they say, for an extra $39.95. Well, this is God's preventative maintenance plan. God's saying, if you'll do this, then everything you're taking care of for me will work out right. The concept of Jubilee, however, wasn't fulfilled by the people of Israel. There's no record that they ever got this figured out and did it. In fact, some Bible scholars are convinced that the reason that Israel ultimately and, and the people of Israel, not so much Judah and Israel, but they were sent into exile for 70 years and it was a direct correlation between that and all the jubilees they'd failed to observe. So there's that seven thing again. And 
they didn't apparently do this and my guess is is because it was impossible because you know what we're just possessive aren't we because people then and people now are the same the only thing that's really different is their technology and their stuff but human nature is pretty consistent throughout human history and so you can imagine these people being a lot like us and us being a lot like them and it's really easy to see how they failed to do this because it's hard because, because uh, you pour yourself into a piece of land and then along comes the original owner and says, uh, it's mine. And uh, Jubilee time, it's time for me to have it back. And the reality is, is it really never belonged to either one of you in the first place. It belonged to God. And so it's really just a stewardship plan. You know, it's just God saying, this is how I want this taken care of. But here's where I want to really take this down to where the rubber meets the road. And this is probably why the Lord led me to this particular teaching that we're going to visit for the next few weeks. And it is because what I have observed as a pastor over these last 20 years is that in churches, we have a tendency to come into this thing that was created for God, by God, and essentially belongs to God. And we have a tendency to start taking care of it as though it's our own. And after a while, it starts feeling like it's our own. And sometimes we're not so quick to let it go. Sometimes this feels like it's mine. I had a situation in the past where someone said, my family founded this church. And they meant it. I mean, like, they wanted to show me the deed <laughs> that basically entitled them to absolute rule over the activity and use of the facilities. And I'm not mad about that. I'm just saying, is how did someone who built a thing to honor God and to serve God and to bring the people of God together in God's name, worshiping because they just can't help it. How did they go from that to, you ain't moving that piece of furniture six inches. That never happens here, I'm sure. And you think, oh gosh, you know, Pastor Dan, your second Sunday and you're already calling us out. Now, God calls you out. He calls me out. <laughs> you know, he calls me out. He says, Dan, this ministry is not yours. You're just working for me. Dan, you are to shepherd my flock. If somebody gave you something precious to take care of, maybe their child or something of great value to them, take care of their home while they're on a long vacation or something, you feel a great deal of responsibility, don't you? And you don't want to in any way risk that uh, owner coming back and finding that you were sloppy in your stewardship. And God forbid that you let something happen to their kid or whatever. Well, that's the burden of the pastor when it comes to the caring of the flock, caring for the flock, is that we have this burden of making sure that God's intentions for you and these fields that he's given you to roam and care uh, for yourselves in and to do your, your spiritual growth and all that in, he, he's given that to you and uh, he's asked me to make sure that it works out well for you. But every now and again, a year of Jubilee comes along and God says, that's it, time's up, reset time. 
So let me wind this up by telling you that though people are unsuccessful most of the time at letting stuff go, letting God take care of things, forgiving people for their debts. You know, I, I wish I could tell you that all of your mortgages are going to get paid off, that all of your car loans are going to get paid off, that all of those credit card bills are going to get paid off. There, there's a way of discipline that will help you do all of that. But the reality is, is we don't live in that kind of jubilee, but what we have in Jesus is the jubilee of having our debt to God canceled, that we no longer owe God for a debt that we were born with and continued to grow, a debt of sin. And what is sin? Well, it's just having a really bad attitude towards God is really what it is. It's thinking that you're more important than God in some way, shape, or form. And we're all guilty of that. And that's why Courtney's saying for us that Jesus is the Jubilee. Because the only time the Jubilee has been thoroughly and effectively implemented was when Christ came. Because then all the slaves were set free, the slaves to sin and death. All the debt of sin was canceled. Everything now is in this season of the year of Jubilee where we're reaping the benefit of something that came before us. And it is Jesus the Jubilee. Jesus even said this of himself when he preached in Luke chapter 4 as he was reading the scroll in his home church. And he picked a verse that effectively described him as the one who was good news for the poor, the one who was sight for the blind, the one who was the declaration of the year of God's favor, the Jubilee. And we're still living in this year of God's favor. So the question is, is do you feel like you have had your sight restored? Do you feel like you were poor? That is to say, deeply in debt to God. And now you've been set free because you've had this good news given to you. Because it's good news if you're poor. It's not good news if you're not poor. And you have been given God's favor. Now that's something worth getting excited about. Because Jesus said, I have news for you this year. This is the time when the reading that I just gave you is fulfilled. They didn't know what to make of it. They really didn't know. So I close with the same question I opened with. Are you ready for a trumpet blast of liberty? Are you ready for a shout for joy? And if you're thinking about it in context of your personal life, great. If you're thinking of it in context of this church's life as a shared life of the believers, great. Maybe it's time for the trumpet blast that announces Christ's return. I'd be okay with that too. I'd join with the ancient church that said Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, but slow down just a little bit. I think I've got one more guy that might be ready to join us. That's what that means. The Maranatha cry. Come quickly, 
but not so quickly that we can't bring one more into the fold. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Introductions to series are always tough for me, Lord, so thanks for making them hear something of value despite me. Now burn it into their hearts, Lord, that only which comes from your spirit so that they and I might be changed forever by your spirit and your word and send us forth renewed and revived and shouting for joy. Amen.